Happy Easter, IPC. Great to be with you. Today's gospel text comes from John's gospel and the 20th chapter, where we have the account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We're calling this Easter by the Empty Tomb, and this closes out our series, Lent in the Upper Room with the Lord Jesus. So I hope that you will take the time to read our passage, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And then once you've done that, then we can meditate together. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? Uh, Maybe not so surprising now that we've been through this together for about a month or so. But if I'd asked you in February, would you be surprised if we didn't meet together on Easter? You would say, are you kidding me? It's a little surprising to have to have Easter online, isn't it? That's because our expectations for Easter are completely different, right? Our expectation is what? It's to be in a church building. It's to hear brass trumpets and all of that. It's to have our best clothes on. It's to uh, be among lilies and to hear the familiar stories of the resurrection. We We don't want surprises on Easter, do we? We want what? Well, we want Easter. We want Easter like we always get it. Surprise. Easter's not going to be familiar to us in the same way this week, this year. Mary Magdalene, in our passage that we've read, she also didn't want any surprises that Easter morning. But she got two, at least. And it maybe it's the case that her surprises will become today our surprises on this surprising sort of Easter. So let's look at the surprises she experienced that first Easter, one by one. Surprise number one for Mary Magdalene by the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, who is she? Well, she's a follower of Jesus, among many others, including women. And in fact, in the Gospels, she's mentioned more times than most of the disciples are mentioned. So she's a prominent disciple of Jesus. And she was probably wealthy and most likely helped finance quite a bit of Jesus's ministry. That is to say that she cared a lot for his success, for his well-being, for his mission and ministry. And now even after Jesus's death, she still keeps caring. After all, the day after the Sabbath, the sun hasn't even come up yet, and she goes to the tomb. She has bought expensive spices to apply to Jesus's body. And that's her mission that morning. Well, she's about to be surprised, isn't she? There's a miniature surprise here. Uh, Surprise 1A, if you like. Here in verse 1, Mary was surprised, of course, what? To find the stone that had been rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. And she was, of course, surprised then to see that the body of Jesus was also missing. But really, she's not that surprised. She's more kind of like annoyed. Can't they just leave my Lord's body alone? Good grief, just let the man rest in peace. And so, verse 2, she heads back to John and to Peter, and she tells them what she thinks has happened to the body. They have taken my Lord away, she says. John and Peter hustle off to see what has happened at the tomb. They see the tomb is empty except for folded grave clothes where the body used to be. And then eventually they leave. But it seems that Mary Magdalene, verse 11, stays behind. 
And here we kind of zoom in on her, and she's overcome with grief. She's not leaving that tomb, it seems, until she finds out where the dead body of her Lord is so that she can complete her duty to him. She can care for his body even after his death. And as she's looking for his body and interrogating people about the whereabouts of his body, she's crying, she's weeping, we read twice in the course of just one verse. And at some point she looks into the tomb and she finds what we're told are angels sitting there. And she doesn't realize that they're angels. She's too overcome with grief. Why are you weeping? They ask her. She tells them once again. She says, they have taken my Lord away. Do you see where Mary Magdalene is at this point? She has followed this man around. She's called Jesus Lord and Rabbi. She's also called him Messiah and Prophet. And maybe most significantly for us this morning, she's called him friend. But now he has been violently killed by religious people and by politicians. And now all she can do is weep and try to care for his body. But the body is missing. And so on top of her grief, now she's full of this feeling of helplessness because she can't do the one thing that's left to do the one thing she thought maybe she could still do for Jesus. Think of the people, the tragedies in this coronavirus pandemic, people who have lost friends and family to this virus. Think how awful it is not just to lose someone, but how frustrating and helpless it must be not to be able to show them the love and the care and the respect in their final moments, and not to be able to say goodbye with a proper funeral. Well, that's how Mary Magdalene feels. For her, it's no consolation to see angels hanging around an empty tomb. She can't even tell that they're angels through their tears, or through her tears. And now it's no consolation for her to bump into the gardener, verse 15, either. She can't recognize who the gardener actually is through those same tears, verse 14. Well, the gardener asks her, why are you crying second time now? And then for the third time, Mary announces the problem. Someone, they, or maybe you, Mr. Gardner, have taken away the body of my friend and my master. For goodness sake, would you please tell me where the body is? Just let me grieve. Now, in John's gospel, Peter has his threes. Three times the rooster crows right before Peter realizes that he has betrayed the Lord Jesus, just like Jesus said that he would. And then at the end of John's gospel, three times, Jesus asks Peter after his resurrection if Peter really loves him before Peter's heart then breaks. So here's Mary Magdalene's own three. Three times, Mary Magdalene complains. She complains that someone has taken away a dead body and that she just wants it back so that she can care for it. And then comes Mary Magdalene's own moment of realization, her own surprise. Mary. It's my name. 
it's, it's his voice. It's that unique voice, that voice that, that I know so well. It can only come from the larynx of the body of this one man, this body, in fact, that I was looking for, the body that I was planning today to anoint and embalm. That body, that man is standing right here calling my name, changing my life, changing the course of human history, changing even the fabric of creation itself. Mary. I wonder, I wonder if you have heard Jesus call your name. You know, I think some of us are waiting for something spectacular, the appearance of an angel maybe. Oh, if an angel shows up, then I'll believe, then my life will change, then I will stop grieving. Some of us say, well, if I could see Jesus, that would change everything for me. Well, look at Mary Magdalene. She saw the angels with her very eyes, and that didn't change her tears to laughter. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus in the garden. That didn't keep her from being overwhelmed with grief and so ups upset and frustrated that her plans for that morning were thwarted. See, I think what you and I need, friends, and maybe it'll take three times like it did for Mary Magdalene, like it did for Peter, what we need is for the resurrected Lord Jesus to call our names, for Jesus to say to us, I care that you're weeping, that you're frustrated, that you're confused, and you can tell me why you're crying. I would like to know, but I want to tell you something too. I know your name. I am raised from the dead, and I'm carrying your name with me everywhere that I go. Friends, whether you have a hard time believing that Jesus actually rose from the dead, or whether you believe it totally, but are still stuck in grief and frustration at the way that your life is going. Well, this Easter, open the ears of your heart and listen for the Lord Jesus as he calls each of your names. Because friends, that's the only difference between his resurrection being simply a fact and his resurrection changing your life forever. Do you hear it? Do you hear him calling your name? Well, that's surprise number one. Mary Magdalene hears Jesus call her name. The next surprise for Mary is, I think, probably strange for us. Look at verse 17. She sees Jesus, she turns toward him, and what comes out of Jesus' mouth? Do not hold on to me, Mary, because I'm going. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Do not hold on to me. This seems like the weirdest, coldest thing to say, right? Jesus has been her friend. Why is she saying that she shouldn't, why is he saying that she should not hold on to him? It makes no sense. She's been looking for his body, for this body, and now she's got it, and it's alive, and she can't hold on to it, to him? This is so strange. What's going on here? Well, a truly great military commander. Can they be friends with the people they command? 
Yeah, they could be. A good military commander has a great warm relationship with the people they command. They can even be friends. But sometimes, though, a soldier needs a general and a commander more than they need a friend. Even with my children, this is true, right? It's important that I joke around with them, that I tickle them, that I tease them, right? But sometimes I've just got to be their father. <laughs> like, who else is going to be their father if I'm not? And sometimes I have to be their pastor, too. I was thinking about my best friend, Rob, and how much I admire him. I really wish in this presidential election season, I really wish that somebody like my friend Rob was running for president of the United States. I would gladly allow absolutely everything to change about my relationship, my friendship with Rob, in order to stick him in the Oval Office and have him governing my country to bring all of his wisdom and his compassion and his courage, not just to the US, but to the world. I'd be glad for that. Look, this is weird, but Jesus is tender to Mary. He's intimate. He calls her by her name, Mary. His own familiar voice is recognizable to her. It is the same Jesus. It is her friend. But what Jesus is saying here, and what I think Mary realizes quickly, is that the kindest thing that Jesus can do for Mary is not to just stay around and hang out and sort of go back to just being friends. The kindest thing that Mary can do for Jesus is actually to release him to do what he's always been supposed to do. What is he meant to do? Well, let's put it like this. Jesus' resurrection is not like the resurrection of Lazarus in John chapter 11. When Jesus brought Lazarus, his friend, back to life, that was astonishing. But after Jesus raised Lazarus to life again, what did Lazarus do? Well, it seems like he returned to his normal life as much as possible. And what about at the end? Well, he died again. <laughs> C.S. Lewis points out that we should really hold up Lazarus as being an important martyr of the church because this poor guy has to experience death not once but twice, right? So he has to be wrapped in linens and a headcloth twice, laid in a tomb twice, wept for twice. Well, Jesus' resurrection, friends, is different because he is rising not to return to life as usual, but he is rising to take resurrected human flesh and to take it with him to his father to sit on the throne of the universe for us and for our good. How wonderful is it to know that your friend is also your Lord and that he reigns over the whole universe. See, Mary is watching Jesus in real time that Easter morning be promoted from regional spiritual leader disciple maker, teacher, friend, all of those good things, but be promoted to something quite different, to king of kings and lord of lords. She's watching Israel's strength and consolation, as the hymn says, become the hope of all the world, and it thrills her heart. And so just as no one could stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem and to Calvary and to the cross, now no one and nothing is going to be able to stop him from being exalted to his throne at the Father's right hand. And friends, he's exalted there. Why? 
so that we can have one day, not a Lazarus-like resurrection, as cool as that would be, not a return to normal life, but so that you and I could have a Jesus resurrection full of glorification and a brand new normal, a glorious normal that goes on forever and ever in a world where death itself has finally died. And so let's check in on Mary Magdalene. How's she doing emotionally with this thing that sounds so weird? Don't hold on to me. It's like social distancing in ancient Palestine or something. How's she doing with this second surprise? Does she think it's cold of him to say this? Well, notice when it is that Mary Magdalene is upset and weeping. She's weeping when she thinks that Jesus, her Lord and friend, verse 13, was dead and that his body had been stolen or moved. But look at her joy now. After Jesus says, I am alive, now let me go to my Father and to yours, to my God and your God. Her frustrations are gone. Her tears have turned to joy. And now she races with excitement back to the disciples to proclaim, I have seen the Lord. The one who taught us to pray, our Father, is going now to his Father so that you and I can experience Jesus' Father as our Father. Friends, when Jesus says, before raising Lazarus to life again, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What he means is this. I'm not just someone who can bring a dead person back to life for a while. I'm not just someone who can live on in the memory of my followers. I'm not even simply somebody who can resuscitate a corpse or whose corpse can be resuscitated. Rather, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I made life. I am life. And even though I'm willing to carry your sin all the way to my death on the cross, there is no grave that can keep me in it. And now if you belong to me, there's no grave that can hold your body down either. Your resurrection is guaranteed in mine. Your glory is guaranteed in mine. And your eternal and abundant life is guaranteed in mine. When I rise from the dead, Jesus says, and I go and sit at my Father's right hand, I take you with me, and one day I will also raise and glorify your whole self, spirit, soul, and body, so that you, as a full person, will experience the fullest imaginable life with me, the resurrection and the life. Just like Jesus asked Lazarus' sister that day at Lazarus' tomb, He's asking us today. He's asking you today. Do you believe this? And just like Jesus told Mary Magdalene next to his own empty tomb, that first Easter full of surprises, I've ascended to my father, who is now your father. I've ascended to my God and to your God. Go with joy, he tells us. Tell brothers and sisters, I'm risen. Well, friends, he is risen, and he's ascended, and he is exalted. Jesus in our flesh, risen, glorified, and full of abundant life. And that life, friends, is yours today as you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave, yourself, gave himself for you.
Amen. Happy Easter. He is risen.